So hi, and welcome to the Story of Software podcast. Today, we're going to talk about education technology and the university challenge. We're joined by Mark McMahon, who's Chief Technology Officer at the Steinbeis School of Management and Innovation in Germany, and Tony Matthews, an academic from Griffith University in Australia. Today, they're going to give us their perspectives on what we're likely to see as universities finally start to engage properly with the digital world. Third-level institutions have been pretty late to the party when it comes to tech innovation. Users of tech have generally been slow to adopt new technologies, and builders of tech have generally gravitated to more lucrative domains. But COVID is changing all of that quite rapidly, and there's pressure been put on universities from a, a range of sources, be that unhappy students who are disgruntled with the lack of ROI from a degree, uh, to public health issues limiting the arrival of lucrative foreign students. It's creating a reckoning for higher education providers and uh, delighted to have uh, Mark and Tony with us today. And to kick off, Tony, a question for you. Would you be able to outline what's changed over the past decades in the university world uh, when it comes to the utilization of technology? Sure, Padraig, that's a really good question. And Thank you for uh, having me here to answer these questions, and I, I look forward to, to this discussion. I'll be blunt about it, if I may. Not an awful lot has changed in ed tech in the university sector in the last decade. Uh, most of the core ed tech hasn't really changed. It's basic platforms for allowing students to access materials, submit work, do academic integrity checks, things like that. There's nothing particularly sophisticated about anything that we're using now. There hasn't been a lot of evolution and the universities are extremely slow to change platforms or take on new platforms or even upgrade the platforms that they have. So there's a few things. One of the things is the universities aren't really sure what students want and students themselves aren't really sure what they want either out of ed tech. Academics don't find what we have to be time saving. And obviously that's a big priority for any software. So that's a big problem. And also one of the things that's affecting the university in this space is that there's, there's relatively limited potential capacity and resourcing available for a widespread rollout of new ed tech. Um, and so they're very slow to embrace new stuff or, or new large platforms because it's not just a case of, of purchasing the license and starting to use it. It's also uh, the obligation to train staff and, and allocate time and things like that. It turns into a huge task. I'll, I'll leave it there for now, but not much has changed in the last decade, unfortunately, in my experience at least. Okay. Before we pass over to, to Mark to talk about what he's seen coming down the track in terms of innovation, Tony, from your perspective, what have the events of the last 12 months done to the university world? And, and do you see tech having a part to play in maybe some of the changes and challenges brought about by what's happening with COVID? The whole COVID experience um, and then everything that, that came with it being a reckoning for the university sector, no university in the world would have tried to take all of its teaching online in a single swoop like that. And frankly, there wasn't really any great imperative to take teaching online. Um, but COVID forced universities not just to have to engage with ed tech for certain types of teaching, but more so for all types of teaching. And I mean, there's a very wide spectrum of teaching. You've got lectures, tutorials, labs, studios, workshops. You know, there's a variety of different domains and teaching practice that occur. And so what the universities had to do in trying to attend to those duties and keep students happy with no real notice was quite a significant challenge. But it was not something they would have taken on voluntarily, at least not at that sort of a, a sharp speed. 
Mark, I'm gonna I'm gonna push a question over your way. So you are chief technology officer at Steinweiss in Germany, and I would imagine that you're seeing what's coming down the track in terms of innovation. Would you be able to share with us a little bit about some initiatives that you're involved in and what maybe we could expect to see emerging over the next year or two? Definitely. So, so I've, been, I've been in this role since uh, July of, of last year. So I'm not from the traditional kind of educational technology space. So I, I came into this, this role quite new back in July. And it's kind of, it's interesting to kind of to look at the whole technology landscape in education kind of resonates with what Tony had said there as well, that it actually, the technology hasn't really changed a lot in the last 10 years, even 20 years. So if you, if you look at the landscape out there, there's, there's a lot of platforms that are like commodity offerings now. So you've got the likes of Moodle and Canvas and Blackboard and all of these things. And they're extremely complicated systems that are very difficult to reproduce or rebuild. In fact, it would, be, would not be wise to try to reproduce these things given how much has gone in there. So, so what we're looking at at Steinbeis is we're looking at how do you combine the commodity offerings like Moodle and maybe put a nice skin on front of them and really focus on say, what, what is the right experience that you can have on these commodity platforms that plays with the experience that they're looking for at the moment, whether they're going fully online or in hybrid. And we, so we look to try and make that stuff kind of look well in terms of innovating. There's a lot of opportunities like above this commodity space. So we are looking at mobile in particular. So we're developing a new product called Edubikes, which is really focused more on, you know, like bite-sized content that a, a student can consume, say, on the fly. You know, so it's like very much audio focused multimedia focused if, if necessary but really focusing on mobile where you can actually take the content that we're delivering in in lectures like 15 minute chunks that a student can consume on their mobile device but also um where we are tracking what they're consuming and actually allowing them to use these edubytes as part of you know ECT, ectts points into their overall college degree so we're seeing that there's some innovations on the side and actually moving into this kind of space of being more audio focused is a good door opener for kind of later innovations. So um, we, we do see that eventually virtual reality, um, augmented reality, these kind of technologies can, can start to get incorporated into the learning process, like especially like doing lab experiments remotely. So yeah, we're pretty much taking an approach where like we're looking at like commodity, building on top of the commodity and trying to find those kind of nice areas like mobile kind of A or V or focused. And at the moment, our, our bed is on, on edgy bites. Uh, Mark, I'll, I'll just ask you a, a follow up question to that. So yeah. for, for a product like edgy bites, how do you effectively build in an assessment component into maybe something that relies heavily on, you know, you mentioned mobile. So is there a way that I can be efficiently and effectively assessed in relation to progress towards an MBA or another qualification uh, in that way? Like, how do you solve that challenge? Yeah, like it, it's a difficult one. So we're, we're very much in terms of how we tackle edubytes. So we, we've got a small group of people would say, let's say more kind of the, the, the lean um, startup kind of way of thinking, right? We, we work very closely with the traditional university, right? So the university is, has already been in operation for, say, the last 20 years or so. And there are processes by which exams need to occur and by which ECTS points are awarded. So there's no way to circumvent those, those processes currently. 
So what we're focusing on the Edubytes first is we focus it more as a content consumption platform where students can consume the content and we keep track of what they have consumed. And if they want to get their ECTS points, then we would move them more to using our online exam platform. So at the moment, we use a form called uh, Proofster, which is a way in which you can perform online exams where you have a third party company keeping track of the students who are participating in the exams. You've got a camera on you to make sure that there's no way of cheating, no, no plagiarism, this kind of stuff. So, so we're taking a step-by-step -step approach. So our first approach would, will be consume the content on Edubytes. If you want to get ECTS points, then use our Proofster platform for this and go step-by-step -step from there. You know, we can think of, uh, you know, in the future, if there's a kind of a more streamlined, more automated way of doing this, then we, we will consider it. Tony, on the topic of assessments, there seems to be a little bit of development in the area of using artificial intelligence for exam grading. Are you seeing or hearing anything about this in the university world in Australia? No, not personally. I'd be very interested in hearing about it, to tell you the truth, because that's one of the huge time demands in any academic's life is, is exam grading or actually paper grading generally. But no, I haven't. I've run online exams where... They've been multiple choice and things like that. So they're obviously a computer marked on the, on the spot and I see the results instantaneously, but obviously that's very, that's relatively simplistic in terms of, of AI that would be able to make value judgments on, on, on an academic essay or something like that. No, I haven't heard of anything, but um, you know, anything that contributes to a reduction in the amount of time that we spend marking anything would be probably of, of primary value in, in a university setting when it comes to ed tech. Fantastic. Uh, Mark, a different question for you. So you're involved in innovative product development for academic institutions. To what extent do academics engage with you on these topics? Are they involved in uh, product ideation? Are they giving you input as you're developing new features? There's two sides to it. Like So, so if I look at, say, what we run at Steinbeis in terms of, say, the traditional e-campus, which is running on Moodle and all of the rest. Like this is quite old, old school. We don't need a lot of input on that. For Edubytes, the actual first content creators on Edubytes are our lecturers themselves. And actually the first users of Edubytes will be Steinbytes students in actual Steinbytes modules, right? So we will be providing asynchronous content in the form of Edubytes. We're working pretty closely. So our main kind of content creator lead is a lecturer at the university. And he's the person who's kind of reaching out to all of the other lecturers, making sure that they're able to produce the edubytes, that everything is in a consistent format, that they're all using a consistent approach for the slides and different things. And, and actually this is quite an explorative uh, process because, we, because we're, we're in this early stage of developing a product, we're learning things as we go along. So a lot of the time we don't have the answers. We're just saying like, um, hey, can you just take your lecture that you normally give on say economics and finance and can you record yourself giving that lecture and can you uh, give us some slides in this kind of um, consistent format? So we're learning as we go along and then as we, we incorporate the content into the app, we find out where the issues are. So yeah, so in answer to your question, it, it's, it's very close um, in terms of content. In terms of tech itself, we're spending a bit more time like on the tech ourselves with the, the engineering and product team. We, we want to get it to a state where it's good enough to give back to the uh, students and lecturers and get feedback. So that, that happens a bit later. 
Very good. Tony, a question for you. Uh, I'm hearing a lot about the uh, topic of micro-credentials. Could you maybe explain a little bit about what that is and what we can expect emerging in universities around this area in the time ahead? Yeah, micro-credentials are going to be big than universities into the future by the look of it. Effectively, what micro-credentials are, it's just it's a, it's a, it's a fancy new term for further professional development. So it's, it's like add-on qualifications, like graduate certificates or, or small-scale uh, add-ons that you can do. They sort of fit in somewhere between a basic degree and a higher degree. And very often, they're largely offered online. They're short courses. They might have maybe 20 hours of content or something like that. And uh, they're aimed more particularly at people who are looking to uh, expand their skills base or skill up in something. And uh, so they're going to be very big business in the universities because they're well placed for automation. Again, what Mark was talking about, where you're recording packets of content and things like that and, and, and putting it up uh, online to be accessible 24 uh, 7, like micro credentials lend themselves to that. So universities have, have steered heavily into micro credentials, particularly in the last 12 months. I wouldn't say they're necessarily doing it as an educational priority. Most of them are doing it because it's a revenue generator. It brings money into the university where they wouldn't otherwise necessarily be, be gaining revenue. That's one of the, the big reasons that they're doing it, but revenue and students go hand in hand. So, you know, it's not like it's bad from that perspective. But again, the priority is probably a little higher now because of university balance sheets around the world being a lot worse off than they were 18 months ago. But the micros have great potential both in terms of, of student experience and enrollment and diffusing ed tech. Um, so I, I think that's going to be a really active market over the next few years, really active, I think. Mark, the same question for you in relation to micro-credentials. Is this an area that's top of mind for Steinbeis in terms of technological innovation? And are you starting to maybe make some experiments in this area? Our core business is normally around people who are already working. Um, they're already in jobs uh, in industry and they're doing like a, a bachelor's or a master's on the side or, or, or an MBA, right? And so, so not, a, not everybody has the amount of time to commit to say multiple years for an MBA or a bachelor's. So we're now starting to, to push a program called MBA Essentials. Um, that's fully asynchronous. So that's actually fully based on Edubytes. We started marketing it already and we're seeing huge demand for it. So, so this, this is something that students are looking for. They're, they're looking for this kind of flexibility and they're, they're, they're looking to kind of get this quick return on investment as well. So as Tony said as well, like it's, a, it's a revenue generator. You know, you can, you can run these, these, these programs at scale over a short time period. Yeah, definitely here to stay. It's kind of interesting when we think about the greater reach that academic institutions like Steinbeis or Griffith are, are going to have in a world driven by micro-credentials or, or maybe even massive online courses. Tony, maybe you could uh, speak a little bit about, about MOOCs. They've been around with us for a while now at this point. Are they here to stay or are they going to decline in, in use over the time ahead? Yeah, MOOCs are an interesting phenomenon because they have been around for a while. There was great excitement in the university sector about the potential of MOOCs some years ago because the idea of scale, you know, you could scale it up to such a, a massive audience, potentially much larger than anything you could ever have on campus. But what seems to have happened over time is that the, the resourcing and the energy and the work and the financing and so on and so forth that it takes to successfully develop, deploy and run MOOCs was not something that most universities were actually willing to engage with. And so it seems that a few years on, what's, what's happened is we now have a small number of key players in the global MOOC market. 
like MIT, for example, being a big one. I'm not 100% sure how good their recognition in the professional world is, though, as distinct from micro-credentials, which seem to be much more freely recognized in the professional world, seem to have a more variable reception if you try and put them on your CV and things like that. And, and maybe from a user perspective, that matters too. But yeah, they're around. They're not going anywhere. If we look at the traditional university business model, at least for a lot of European universities, it's been lucrative uh, overseas students that have really shored up their finances. So in the case of, let's say, Irish universities, it's been attracting students from China, India, elsewhere, uh, students who are paying what they call full fees. So they're, they're paying a very substantial amount of money to attend these universities. Obviously, COVID has played havoc uh, with that, Tony, in the short term. Is this going to return or has, has something irreversible happened over the last 12 months vis-a-vis -vis the university world? Oh, no, I think international students will come back. Um, honestly, a lot of them would be happy to come back already if they just could. But, you know, speaking to the point of, of how important they are for the balance sheet, they're incredibly important. I mean, in some cases, they'll pay three times the fees that a domestic student will pay. So it's not that you can even make up the loss by adding more domestic students because you need to add so many that it's almost impossible. So the universities are, are really gasping without the international students. And there's a desire to do it as well because people want the life experience of it and things like that. And universities are desperate to get back to it. So I think student market is not going anywhere, uh, albeit with many stakeholders wanting stability as quickly as they can get it. The points you made just now are very interesting. And I think in addition to what you mentioned, I guess one of the things that overseas students or any students are paying for is uh, is the network that you develop through attending a university. So you meet people and maybe in three, four or five years after university, they know of a job in their organization and they recommend you, or maybe you start a business with people that you attended university with. I guess in a world where maybe folks will be looking primarily for their education online, how do you replace that networking or at least attempt to replace that networking component? And I don't know, is there a technological solution to help people uh, come together in, you know, in an online version of what you have on university campuses? Uh, Tony, any thoughts on that? Because I guess the network is it's a hugely valuable component to the university experience. It is a fundamental part of the university experience, the social network and also the, the early professional network that you build. And that's an enormous reason why people want to be on campus. The networks always happen in person first. And it's actually funny because they go online then pretty quick. Within 24 hours, they're coordinating group activities using Google Documents and things like that. So they've moved online. But, but the base social meeting has occurred and then they spend time together over months and years and they become friends. And so what you can have is you can have collaboration and sharing of ideas and distribution of, of work and so on online. You can have multiple people working on a common project, for example. But what you can't replicate is the in-person experience of people hanging out together, getting to know each other, particularly at that stage of life, staying up late to meet assignment deadlines, you know, all those kind of little adventures that go with being in university. They don't happen online you know just to, to speak to the experience here in australia where where universities are more or less all back open now again in fact a lot of them were back open by the middle of last year the student demand to get back on campus is very high very high and i think a large part of that is that social experience people matter social experience matters 
Mark, I'm going to pass it over your way. So from the Steinbeis perspective, is there any thought being uh, invested in how you might somehow replicate the value of the in-person network effect? Uh, is there anything technology can do or any innovation universities can make to try and somehow either augment or replace that? We've tried a few different things. Like I, I think especially in, in our space with Steinbeis, like we're, we're very much focused on, say, MBA degrees. Like a, a key value proposition for a student going into an MBA is the networking itself. Like it's just this is this is why they're doing the MBA, right? So it's just so so fundamental. And even with one of our programs, so a degree we, we run for the Berlin School of Creative Leadership, we have like one module in the US, one module in Asia, one module in, in Berlin, and some modules online, right? So but the whole traveling and the networking is is just absolutely fundamental to the degree. For these types of degrees, COVID has been definitely been been a, been a big problem, and and we're looking at how people network digitally, and you know they're, they're using Microsoft Teams. Not quite the same. It's very we we haven't really found a solution that in any way kind of matches up to what they would have got from from in person classes and in, in person seminars. And also, we're finding our students. Our students, they want to be doing in-person seminars. It's a big value proposition for them. Like the only thing we, we have noticed lately is that when we're marketing to foreign students, there's a, a lot of students are interested in the idea of maybe taking some modules at home. So maybe they're based in China or somewhere like this, and then they do a few modules for Steinbeis um, in China um, online, and then maybe come to Berlin a year later. And there's a lot of appetite for this kind of hybrid style of doing different modules at different locations. In general, there's always going to be an appetite for this, but there will be many students who are just interested in doing everything online as well. If we think about the world in, of technology in general, technology tends to trend towards a, a small number of uh, outright winners. Um, and I wonder, as education gravitates increasingly online. I mean, we've spoken about the value of the in-person experience, so there's always going to be some demand for that. But if we think in terms of many more people will now see that maybe a, a micro-credential uh, might serve a purpose that maybe a three-year bachelor's would have previously, uh, I wonder, are we going to start to see the end of the traditional university or at least the uh, decline of many institutions? Tony, do you have any thoughts on whether we're going to see, because we spoke about a reckoning, like, is that true? Is there going to be a reckoning? Are we going to see many universities going out of business because maybe suddenly everyone's doing their MBA through Mark's platform at Steinbeis? Like, how might things play out over the next 10 or 20 years? I mean, in a sense, one of the things that is, is useful to do is look at what's the unique value proposition of a university, what's their selling point? And, and their selling point primarily is the fact that they're qualified and able to award degrees, whether those degrees are accredited, accredited professionally or not. But universities can award degrees and higher degrees. And, you know, you get your certificate and you have your graduation, and that's proof that you've achieved something, and it's widely held currency. And so as long as they can do that and there isn't some other substitute that is as widely accepted it will sort of keep them in business for the time being you could certainly take all the content of a university course and put it online and you could do all the assessment online you could do all of that but ultimately what the university is really doing is they're awarding your degree and so the question is is there another model that's going to come along that will supplant that 
and universities to some degree anyway have it sort of have protected the market a little bit because those degrees have fashioned in partnership with a professional association that's had to accredit them and so that's that's a lot of validation to to try and compete with if you're trying to set up something that runs almost as a direct market competitor to this. But over time, I do think there will probably be a slow decline in the university sector. I think some universities are probably going to merge, others will close down. EdTech will increasingly take over more and more space. University workforces are already heavily casualized, so there's less and less full-time people. Return on investment ROI considerations, they're changing for students all the time. Right now, it's, it's more about what the individual student wants. You can opt out of the university pathway and still do fine in life if, you, if, if you're clever about what you're doing. But there isn't a widely accepted and endorsed alternative yet, although eventually there almost certainly will be probably a variety of them. Mark, a question for you. So you're working for an academic institution that's investing extensively in technology. So I would imagine it's more forward looking than the majority of academic institutions out there. Is there a reason for this? Is it just part of the culture of the organization itself? Is it a sense that there is a reckoning coming in, uh, in higher education and Steinbeis wants to get ahead of the curve? What do you think is prompting this um, very strong focus on innovation in the tech space? Definitely, we do see a lot of transformations happening, and, and this is even before COVID. Like, so going back to even even a year ago, like Sidebase has been quite a lucrative business over the past twenty years or so. Right, there's there's a lot of money to be made in the educational space, but also it was quite clear that the writing is on the wall, that things are moving online, and there's new kind of didactical formats coming out, and we want to kind of make sure that we're ahead of the the, the curve. So we're looking at it in terms of like, you know, where are things going? And essentially we look at education, like for a university like ourselves, it's essentially a content and media play, right? The educational part and the educational material, that's all there. But this is really about how do you differentiate yourself versus other universities in terms of like, where's the industry going? And, and for us, it's more like by doing an innovation in technology like Edubytes, we felt that we could um, at least have a way to kind of focus our our lecturers in terms of creating really high quality and um, kind of media experience a big part of what we're doing is actually the marketing machine so we have to adapt to an approach where everything is online and we move from one german brand to multiple brands so we're actually moving from one brand to we've got a steinbeis international steinbeis national we've got edubyte at the berlin school how do you build a sustainable system that's able to operate all of those brands deal with all of the content, push it out there and deal with all of the accreditation. So we see quite a, quite a lot of changes happening in this space, but it, it accelerated um, by COVID really more than anything else. So I, I think you know, in the past, change was very slow in universities. I, I think we've just been forced to kind of uh, move really quickly in, in, in these past few months. Yeah, I'd certainly agree with that. Uh, Mark, I'd like to thank you so much for joining us today. It's been a real pleasure. Thank you. And uh, Tony, thank you for, for dialing in from Brisbane, Australia. It's been great to have you on the podcast. You're, you're very welcome. Thank you for having me. It's been an interesting conversation. Fantastic. So our podcast is produced by Adnan Sukar with music by Robert Cooney. We'll catch you next time for more stories of software.